Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition of UGA Sports Live. My name is Rodney Nabolsi. I'm joined by Jim Donnan and Dane Young. Dane's got people walking behind him. It creeps me out every time it happens. It just, it's especially it's a college screen. campus, man. What do you expect me to do? Just and be glad I have the door shuts. Yeah, Coach Donnan's coming from his house. Uh, I'm not at Classic City East today. I really wish I was with their pizzas and calzones over there. It's killing me, but I have to do some stuff from the house today. Uh, but we do want to shout out some of our other sponsors real quick. Uh, Academia Brewing Company, Dead Soxie, Prime Shrimp, My Perfect Franchise, and Andy, Andy Ludecki, Kirsten Yurpai, and Athens Ford. We'll talk about them later in the show. Coach, uh, I want to get right to it. Uh, not a great performance or not a great game for Georgia. They came away with a win. I know that's all you care about. But not what we were expecting from Georgia at Missouri. A lot of questions. Most of this show will be questions. But I want to kind of, now that you've had a couple of days to go back and watch the tape, think about it, you know, get your thoughts in a row. Give us your thoughts thoughts on the Georgia-Missouri game. Well, I was shocked at our inability to uh, take advantage of the secondary going into the game. I thought we were going to be able to do that. But uh, I want to, first of all, give the uh, staff, uh, particularly the defensive staff for uh, Missouri, a lot of credit because – they did a couple things in the game. One thing, they, they really timed up their pressures with our snap count. I don't know if they had a bead on it or what, but they just had a really good uh, – did a good job of uh, coming off the edge and also penetrating inside on Van Pran on the snap. I don't know if for some kind of tip or what they had, but they did a good job with that. And then, uh, you know, we missed some blocks at the point of attack, that's for sure, and we missed some early passes that could have been first downs, but overall uh, just didn't play with the kind of poise and uh, that you expect on the road in the first half, uh, made some really good adjustments second half offensively that still were hampered in the red zone. Uh, we continue to not get the ball to our best players in the red zone as much as you'd, you'd hope we could, but we were fortunate to have a kicker that really came through for us defensively uh, just some poor gap control, uh, at some really poor uh, angles by our, uh, by our tackling. And, uh, you know, they had about four big plays. Uh, uh, our guys, Dane and Brent, did a good job of talking about um, the multiple uh, big plays they made in the game. Were really, the, the difference, about eight plays in the game, and then about the rest of them, we stoned them. So that's what happens. But, uh, you know, there's a reality here. We we do have some warts on our team. There's no question about it. When you don't have a, a, a go-to deep guy like A.D. Mitchell and you got your best defensive player, Carter, is not playing in there to dominate the inside, it puts a lot of pressure on your team. But overall, uh, we just got to take the wins and continue to develop these younger players and uh, play more uh, around our strengths, maybe a little bit more things rolling so good the first three games. I think we had a little bit of a, a mismatch as far as thinking what we could do offensively uh, and everything was working so good. We, we got to get back to uh, we can't waste as many plays uh, trying to make things happen. We got to go with percentages on that. And that's just coaching. And I'm sure our coaches will adjust to that. But Overall, I wasn't as much as I was shocked about our inability to uh, do well the first half. I was tremendously pleased with the poise, uh, particularly uh, the way Coach Smart was on the sideline. Just a really good leader over there, and our guys found a way to win. And sometimes you don't have your best stuff. Everybody talks about that, but it's pretty evident around pro football. You, you watch last night. 
the defending Super Bowl champions look like they couldn't even pass protect against the little sisters of the poor. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, they, they had eight sacks, I think, against uh, their, their really good quarterback who's, you know, Matthew Stafford, our guy. So um, I was pleased with the way uh, – with the way we were able to adjust and come back, though, that made a, that would have been a terrible loss and it would have been hard to overcome in the national picture. But whether we're going to be that, it remains to be seen. you got you got to earn that on the field, and we're going to have a chance to do that against some good teams down the stretch here. And I think one thing, too, is we need to acknowledge Missouri's defensive front and how it makes life difficult for quarterbacks. I didn't see this trend before the Georgia game, but Kansas State scored 40 points on Missouri. So on its face, it seems like, well, Missouri's defense is no good. You go back and look at it, Kansas State threw for 101 passing yards. So it was mostly on the ground that they scored. Auburn with Robbie Ashford, it was like 90 yards passing through four quarters. I think it rose up to 135 passing yards for that game. And then yet Stetson Bennett ended up in, in a game that it was tough to. He threw for 312 yards on Missouri. And the other thing with Ashford is Missouri shut him down. Robbie Ashford against LSU was throwing for over 300 yards and doing most of what he wanted to do. Missouri's defense is way better than I thought, like extraordinarily yeah, better than I thought. Yeah, no question it is. And the running quarterback for Kansas State helped with Martinez. I mean, that's something that, Maybe we got to use a little bit more when things aren't working good. Maybe rollouts, maybe quarterback keeps to, to, to get some first downs. But, you know, we're not, it's not one of these deals where we got to sell the ranch here. We still got Brock Bowers. We still got Washington. AD Mitchell's coming back. Our backs are running good. I mean, we had two unfortunate turnovers, two of them that you inexplicably wouldn't think would happen. We work really hard at rocking the baby and making sure a guy doesn't. Uh, punch it out from behind, but you know, that happens sometime. And then just a really poor mesh point there with Edwards and, uh, and uh, Bennett was just a gift three points there. I mean, you know, just ridiculous. Uh, You've got to hold the ball. If you ever want to run any kind of option football, you got to hold the ball in the middle and, and really protect it with all of your fingers. You can't hold it on the end because once you touch it on the end, you don't have near the strength to hold it if there's a bad mesh. So work on work on that a little bit. But uh, overall, uh, just excited about the potential of this team and uh, and realize that uh, you know some of these guys didn't play as bad as as maybe some of the fans think. Uh, we had some problems inside with our, our guards and centers, no question. But our tackles had some speed rushes that they were beating on. Uh, and, you know, our perimeter blocking was not great like it has been. We missed some blocks on the perimeter, and we missed some points with uh, Bowers at the point of attack a couple times. But, you know, it's it's just uh, the thing it's, that's really pertinent here is having shows like this and other people have shows, it's just so heavily scrutinized. It's like a political race as soon as you <laughs> – uh, as soon as they vote, everybody starts f- figuring out why people voted, what they did, all that, as soon as you can on on all these stations. And the same thing's true with our team. As soon as the game's over, overreaction show. I mean, hey, that's great. But these guys are trying hard, and uh, fortunately they were able to come out and get a W. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the – that's you could be a team like Georgia Tech or some of these other schools that nobody gives a rat's ass. So 
I'm glad that we have this scrutinization exactly. and this. Exactly. You know, that's exactly that's good to have it. But the problem well, is at this point, Tennessee's all fired up about their big win over Pittsburgh. That's their one great win this year. And and Georgia Tech goes up there and literally exposes Pitt badly. A uh, good win for new coach, uh, Coach Key. I was glad that they uh, you know, the kids reacted and responded and uh, hopefully they don't get a lot get on a roll here. I don't think they will, but it just goes to show you that that maybe Tennessee is not quite what you think they are. Uh, we'll and, well, and to that point, Coach, Tennessee happened to go to Baton Rouge. What did Kirby Smart say after the Missouri game? It's hard to win on the road in the SEC. And oh, you yeah. saw Alabama after three quarters experience that with Arkansas, a team that they're better than. Arkansas is more one-dimensional. It's yeah. hard to win on the road in the SEC. Let's see if Tennessee can do it in Baton Rouge. Unfortunately for uh, Alabama, Barry Odom pulled his usual uh, try to stop every play, and uh, they broke about three over 70. I mean, it happens every year with Arkansas on, on their defense. I know he's a good defensive coach, and he's got a lot of, uh, you, you know, experience, but he doesn't coach around the offense. I mean, he coaches to stop plays and doesn't play field position. And um, he got third and 16 against a running quarterback, and the guy runs for 70 yards. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you, you just got to coach better than that. I mean, no question about it. And everybody can always go back on. There's a lot of games I could have coached better on, but but I've had 25 years here to try to figure out what these guys are doing. And he's consistently unbelievable in the big games, making bad calls. Yeah, that's the uh, – I want to go back to something you mentioned about the turnovers. Because uh, people want to get it – people want to take a – microscope to the calls that Georgia had, you know, what should Todd Monkley have done this, should Glenn, Glenn Schumann have done that. And coach, I I mentioned it to our in our little group chat in the staff area this morning because Anthony Dash was pointing out the few number of fumbles Georgia had last year versus, you know, they're on pace to pass that this year. And it seems to me when I go back to that Kent State game and this game as well, whenever there's a, a turnover for Georgia, and they, they went three games without one at all. The last two games they've had five in the first half. And it seems like they get a lot tighter. They, they play a little more nervously. It almost changes the complexion of what they do after that. They don't – I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if they're worried about being yelled at by the coach or they know that the other team stole a possession on them, a team that shouldn't be in it. But they seem to kind of get a little tight after a turnover like that. They don't play like they did before. I mean, coming into the game, Georgia had given up seven tackles for loss through four games. They gave up nine this past Saturday just very much unlike that offensive line. We had not seen a performance like that. And I noticed it's just, if everything's hitting, this team just, like you said, they barmeroded, it, you know, against South Carolina. They just ran right down them. Uh, did the same against Oregon. But the um, this past week when they had a couple turnovers, everything kind of went a little sideways. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of identity deal there, trying to figure out how you can make some first downs and, and then you add the two turnovers and it makes it even more uh, – vivid in the fact that uh, this is a tight game and you talk about the tackles for loss if I'm playing Georgia I'm going to try to do all I can to create some lost yardage plays to get them behind the sticks because they're a team that's really good on first and second down because they can run and pass third down when it's a show pass I don't care who you're playing against it's tough to to hit those third down conversions although we had several that were dropped but to answer your question specifically about the turnovers Sure, as soon as you fumble once, then it's in your mind. It's like when you hit a ball 
you hit a ball in the water on the on number three, and then you know you got number six coming up. It's got another water hole. You're thinking about what am I going to do about it? So you got to try to work hard to to eliminate that, but it's still in the back of your mind. And uh, one of the fumbles that happened to us last week, two weeks ago, was on a muff punt. So I really don't count that against the offense. But uh, right, you know, you we've been so unbelievable starting in the Michigan game, the Alabama game, the first three games about no turnovers, that all of a sudden these are magnified a little bit. And they really should be scrutinized because they, they were very vivid in what happened in the game. Anytime you turn the ball over on your end of the field, it's about a 70% chance they're going to score, maybe even more than that if it gets closer to the goal line. So uh, that's only our second turnover of the year on this side of the field. One of them was McConkie against uh, Kent State on the punt. So, uh, But I can't wait to hear some of these questions because after you tell us who our good, great sponsors are, we'll uh, get some really good questions because – I'm kind of out of gas here about this Missouri game. I mean, yeah. uh, we'll, I would we'll like some specific questions if anybody wants them. Yeah, we'll look ahead to Auburn. But first, I want to mention our friends over at uh, Prime Shrimp. That Prime Shrimp is a new sponsor for us. Uh, it's a lot of people don't understand the concept. It's very similar to like an Omaha Steaks. You basically order shrimp from a New Orleans-based company that's been peeling shrimp since the 1940s. They have a huge uh, – uh, process down there uh they actually invented some machines that they sell they sell these giant machines to other companies you know that help them in the uh, seafood processing business but for the retail side you know the they, they have a cool thing now uh, it's called prime shrimp where you actually can order shrimp from them it comes to you frozen it's uh no thaw no mess no fuss there's nothing to it you basically get restaurant quality results at home in 10 minutes so basically you order the shrimp. It, it's shipped to you in a couple days with dry ice, which is also fun to play with now that we're right here at the Halloween time. Don't touch it with your bare hands. Uh, you take the shrimp, put it right back in your freezer. So, you know, it hasn't thawed at all. Then when you're ready to cook, you don't have to remember, oh, did I take it out and let it thaw on the counter? Hell no. You don't have to deal with that. Just take it out of a little packet, drop it into boiling water. It'll be ready in like four to five minutes. It's fantastic. So uh, it, it comes with these flavor, the shrimp is peeled, deveined, and flavored. There's a ton of different flavors out there. You'll like them all. You can get their signature shrimp, their French uh, French Quarter Alfredo, the garlic or butter, uh, Louisiana shrimp boil, simply shrimp, and lemon and cracked pepper. I tried the lemon and cracked pepper the other day. It is fantastic. Very easy to make shrimp cocktails, uh, shrimp tacos, add it to uh, uh, linguine, add it to whatever, and you'll have it made. So hit our friends up at Prime Shrimp. The promo code is UGA Sports. You get $20 off your first, or first order. And considering that some of the stuff is like, you know, 17, 18 bucks, you can get a buy one, practically get one free. So hit them up when you get a chance. Use promo code UGA Sports. I also want to mention our friends at Dead Soxy because Dead Soxy were the ones that told the folk at Prime Shrimp that we are a good place to advertise with. So we appreciate that from our friends at Dead Soxy. It is getting colder. I'm actually wearing a, a uh, long sleeve shirt. You, anybody knows me knows I'm a t-shirt guy until mid-November, but it actually was chilly in the house. So I put on my Konica uh, sweatshirt and you need long socks. I wear the no-shows just about every day that I got from Dead Soxy, but now you need some fantastic socks. You need some that are comfortable. You need some that don't slide down your leg constantly. And if you go to our friends at Dead Socks, they use promo code UGA Sports. Notice the theme there. You get 25% off your order with Dead Soxy. We're into October. 
you know the holidays are coming, you know you have people you need to get stuff for, hit them up during the holidays, you know, hit hit up our friends at Dead Socks so you are prepared for the holiday season upcoming. Go ahead and knock out that boss gift, that uh, staff gift, that uh, gift for your buddy who's a old Miss fan and cooking down there. They'll take care of it. So hit them up when you get a chance. And Dane, let's jump into the questions. Let's start with one, and the blame game happens after a close game where expectations were high and then not necessarily met, at least in terms of points. From our friend on Twitter, UJAlum95, question for the show today, are the dogs missing Matt Luke right about now? A lot of finger pointing, at least on the dog vent, to Stacey Searles. Uh, I don't agree with that, but the co- the question is for Coach Donnett. It's not really fair to uh, make that kind of assessment after five games. Uh, you know, we, we people said the same thing about are we missing Sam Pittman? Are we missing Coach uh, Mel Tucker? I mean, all of, it's easy to do that, particularly after a game in which your line doesn't play as well. Uh, certainly Coach Luke is a good coach, and so is Coach Searles. I think uh, certainly the fact that they've been playing more players – Sometimes people think that's because you don't have a good front five, but Kirby addressed that the other day. We're going to play the best five, but at the same time, if guys are playing good in practice, they deserve the opportunity. And I certainly think Mims, Willock, and uh, some of these other guys deserve a chance to play too. I mean, our best player is is Van Pran. And looking at the pro football grades that uh, that I read today, uh, and certainly that's not the coach's grades, but, uh, you know, Van Pran's uh, pro prospect, he was in the sick, uh, low low 50s on the grade for the game. That's not good. Uh, maybe maybe our coaches felt like he played better than that. But what I'm saying is your best players have got to play good to make up for some of these new guys in there. And, uh, and certainly the quarterback can help a little bit by checking out of some of these pressures. But, again, going back to the game, I think, Searles didn't have anything to do with them anticipating our snap count. I mean, I think they did a good job on that, and we should have seen that a little bit quicker and maybe used some different ones because they had some guys really close to being offsides, but they never were called for it. But you can't block a guy when he's in the neutral zone when you get a set. I mean, you can't block him. I mean, he's already over there. I'm going to stick with – go ahead, Roddy. They don't want to touch on that real quick because – I don't want to come across as a Stacey serial defender. I don't know him. I don't like him. I don't dislike him. I don't know him at all. But I do want to say this. When we see a narrative start, he came in. A lot of people said, I'm against this hire. And now they're looking for reasons to support that, that I don't say accusation, that their, their stance, if you will. You know, Kirby should have hired somebody else. When he was here at Georgia, he didn't win. Therefore, he's not a good coach. Maybe he's not. Maybe he is. I don't know. But I I. Notice that when they have a bad game, all of a sudden everyone's complaining about safety heroes, but very few people were complaining about him the first four games when they'd only given up seven tackles for loss. You know, there have been very few negative plays. Yeah. The point being is, like, if you're going to cr- give him the uh, blame for this, well, then you also have to give him credit for when they do well. But if you've got an agenda and you're trying to prove your point, then you're only going to point out the negatives. And I see the same thing happened with every coach that's been fired. Once somebody comes out against them, and they never give them credit when they do something right. They only point out when they do something wrong and they keep bringing it up and you get a preponderance of evidence, if you will, that this is a bad coach or this is a bad hire. And it's just because you're only pointing out the negative stuff to support the, the stance you took earlier. Yeah, that's I agree. I'm, I appreciate you saying that. And, and I would say this. Kirby has already come out and said 
earlier this year that this is the best staff that he's ever had here. And for him to give a kudos, you better not very often he's going to say anything. Uh, you know, he's good about with his players, but publicly to say that was pretty, pretty dang good. And I, I will say this, he had the resources and the, uh, and the uh, money and the uh, ability to hire any coach in America for that position. And he hired Stacy. So, I'm just going to say this. Kirby goes with what he thinks is best, and certainly the offensive staff had a lot of input in it too. Uh, yeah. Coach uh, Munkin, uh, that's his guy too. He'd coached with him before, uh, Brian McClendon. Uh, can we get on Brian McClendon because our receivers dropped a few passes? He took the words uh, right out of my mouth, Coach. I was going to say, look, the secondary got torched. The secondary made some mistakes. And, uh, Is Fran Brown a bad hire? Yeah, I mean – it's okay, and it's okay to. I mean, it goes it with. The, be, I don't know. It goes with the territory to get scrutinized. Okay, and that, yeah. and I'm I'm not saying because people say that that they're wrong and I'm right. I just think let's let it play out, and at the end of the year, if some adjustments need to be made, uh, Coach Smart will make them. Yeah, he's not going to keep anybody that can't coach. That's we've we've seen I that. Mean, check check the guy that's coaching someplace in the SEC and ACC <laughs> right now that. Coach on a national team last year. I don't know who that was, but uh, keep going. So, Roddy, what you're telling me is that after weeks of trashing Auburn's passing game, the fact that it was better against LSU, I'm supposed to praise Brian Harson. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) I'm not gonna. Can't make me. (laughs) But then again, it's like okay, Stacey Cereal's bad. Well, the secondary was had a bad day, so it's Fran Brown. It's a Fran Brown's problem. we saw drop passes. Was that Brian McClendon again? Yeah, purple one guy. Same with the offensive line. Everyone was complaining about Tate Ratledge. Tate Ratledge actually graded out rather well, but you saw one or two plays that were highlighted on ESPN that where he got beat, and now it's in your head. Oh, he's terrible. You go on uh, Twitter and you go, somebody replaced Tate, and then you never point out all the good plays Tate has, but the one time he screws up, you jump on his ass. And I'm like, and yeah, I don't defend him. I don't care. I don't know. I'm just saying I know how people support their position by only pointing out the negative things when they happen and never giving credit for the positive. So, so I'm off my soapbox. Sorry. Continue with the questions. We'll continue with the theme of offensive line questions, and you've mentioned this a bit, Coach. Drooling Mutt, which is a great handle on the dog event, <laughs> says the constant shuffling of offensive linemen uh, gets a lot of guys important reps, and conversely, does it prevent the cohesion for them to gel and work better together? I understand that we're looking for the best combination, but I do have to wonder if it hinders more than helps at this point in the season. I don't think it does. I mean, D-line, it doesn't bother us. It looks like a, we've got a, a freeway going on and off the field with our D-line. I mean, we played more people in the D-line than any place I've ever been around, and that's just the way we do it, keep them fresh. But I, I don't think – it's a situation where a guy's coming in every snap. It's a series. So you got a chance to be in with the guy and you know, uh, it's not like you're going to be pulled after one play. Uh, so I think they do it in practice. They work together. They do different combinations. Uh, again, when it doesn't work, it's easy to, to say and bring it up like this man did. But uh, I do feel like we're close enough at that position that, that it's hard to play one guy over the other at this point that has distanced himself from the other ones. And, uh, you know, you got a situation there tight end where it's hard not to have Washington and Bowers in at the same time. But, you know, we, 
we play them a lot together. But uh, and, and the same thing with the backs. You know, we got three backs playing early in the year. People are saying, "Why are you putting Edwards in the game?" And now he's playing and playing good. So just let the coaches coach, and then uh, at the end of the year, we'll see how it works out. From NBA Timber Dogs says, Coach, I love the show. Thank you and your love of the dogs. His question, what is your assessment of Georgia's offensive line play to date and what steps do you take to improve it? Is it personnel, scheme, play calling? What do you do to help an offensive line? Well, I think to the, to date they've been uh, – I would give them between a B and a B-plus because they've had pretty good games except till this last one. Had very few lost yardage plays, very few uh, sacks, very few actual pressures. And last week we didn't have a lot of pressures. I think only eight pressured passes. So, uh, and you call, well, we called at least 50 because I don't know how many we threw, but, you, you know, Stetson has to move around. So that's that's a little bit too many for, for me, for us. But as far as what we would do, I would say maybe cut back a little bit in our volume and um, be a little more specific in what we're doing. Maybe put Stetson on the edge more as far as bootlegs, nakeds, play action. And then, uh, you know, from a standpoint of uh, scheme-wise, maybe go to a little bit more gap scheme where you don't have to just knock a ball, a guy off the ball consistently, block down on them and pull people. I think that showed pretty evidently that when you get in penetration, that's one of the best ways to stop it. So, uh, and as much as I would – be afraid to do this because of Stetson's health. I would probably run Stetson a little more on the on the quarterback keeps just to keep these people at home and are trying to tackle us from the backside. You go perfectly into this question from Coastal VA Dog. Would Coach mind explaining the difference between zone scheme and gap scheme blocking and why one might work better than the other when watching the offensive line? How can you recognize when they are using the zone concept versus the gap concept? Okay, real quickly, a man scheme is you block the man in your gap, head up, it's head up, face outside. So, again, he's, he's head up on you, he's face up, or he's outside, you've got that man. Most people don't do man anymore because people move around. So you got zone where the garden center will take the linebacker and the two technique, or the garden tackle will take the three technique and the linebacker or the tackle and the tight end will take the five technique and the scrape ball. So you're going like this in, in, in this in sequence here. You're, you're covering an area block with the zone. And sometimes when a guy, when you're stepping to go outside and the guy that you think is going outside comes underneath you, you can't redirect. That happened a couple of times. So let's say the guy's coming here and you think he's coming there. I wish I had a whiteboard to show you this. I, I'm, I'm pretty good on that. Uh, uh, I used to be, but probably couldn't remember X from an O anymore. But the point <laughs> is, you, you, you've got to block that area, and you have to have the footwork to take care of it. Now, if people are doing that and they're moving their front, particularly coming with penetration to your inside, one of the best things you can do is block instead of trying to step up like to the outside is block down on them like this to, to seal that penetration. But when you do that, you've got to pull somebody from the backside because everybody's blocking back. So normally the guard and tackle or the guard and H back will come and they'll turn up in the gap that you just 
sealed by blocking down. So uh, what's really important is the guard that's pulling has to check up with the defensive end. So if you'll see my right hand, if that defensive end comes up the field, that guard will kick him out. If that defensive end penetrates, that guard will log around him, and then the tackle will come on around. So there's a lot to be said about gap scheme as far as start stopping penetration, but the big key there is your guard and tackle have to be in sequence here where they don't get blown up by an end, knocking both into the back, and you don't get around the area there. So uh, you got to have good footwork between your guard and your pulling guy so uh, I hope that explained it. Well, you did point out on the watch along show. You said let's let's run counters here, and all of a sudden they started working down the field. And uh, Dane, I got an idea. Maybe we this week when we come on to the uh, uh, Georgia watch along show with Auburn, that we'll start about three twenty. Maybe we come on about three fifteen and give Coach a whiteboard. Yeah, well, I'm okay with it, but I certainly don't want to. Anybody think I'm second guessing? I'm just answering questions. No, but you can explain stuff like that. It helps when you draw them out. You know, our film design guys do a great job, but you know, we could also have you with a whiteboard there saying, "Okay, let's let's explain this concept." Because I know that. Uh, well, you know, when everybody used to watch the Redskins and they had the Hogs, and that was their number one play. Uh, Mark May, the Bostics, all those guys—they they were great at running that, and at Wiggins would. would keep the ball and, or, you know, keep up inside. Uh, so uh, 1984, I went up to uh, the Redskins, spent three days and talked to them about, the, about that. And uh, it's amazing how much is in intricacies are involved in how you call the counter and what you do against it and the ways that you can, can, uh, you know, attack different defenses cause they, they invented it. But uh Fortunately for me, he, he taught me how to run it. And uh, we, we were always – you watch that Auburn game in 96. Uh, we ran that sucker in a submission and over. <laughs> Let's get to one more offensive line question, and then we'll uh, pause for a sponsor break, and then we'll come back with more questions. This is from Joja Dog. Uh, he says, I'm hoping I'm not beating a dead horse with another offensive line question. You're not, although I will say the vent is uh, pretty much harping on the offensive line. He says, how much do you think Saturday being the first true road game of the season played into the protection issues? If so, Georgia does not get that kind of environment again until Mississippi State. Yeah, I think it made a little bit. If you watched our intro where I talked about the, the snap count issues where where they wasn't so much the noise factor. It was just the fact that they beat us off the edge or they beat us through the A-gap uh, on, on, right when the snap was occurring, you know. So once the guy's in your face immediately, then you're on the run back there. You don't, you know, I saw it last night, uh, you, you know, the best player in football, 99 for the Rams. Uh, one play, nobody even touched him. And uh, he went in there. And it's just amazing that Garoppolo could get the ball off. But Aaron Donald, I mean, you'd think scouting report, 99, we better touch this guy. We got to <laughs> So, uh, but he's he's right about uh, environment. Sometimes you, the noise bothers you. Sometimes just uh, the other team moving around and all that. And you, you were expecting it was going to be hunky-dory, and then it wasn't. Uh, you got to prepare like every game's going to be. You know, it's going to be a tight 
tight one. And uh, we prepared like that. We just started the game out with a drop pass. Next series, a guy drops the ball. I mean, we just looked. It was a perfect scenario for all those people at Missouri that were in the parking lot or ate breakfast that morning and thought they were going to get creamed. And then all of a sudden, first quarter, they're playing like, you know, it's like a Rudy show. I mean, they're just coming out there and doing everything right, even on offense. And uh, the, the crowd was big. It was big for them. It helped them. And, uh, but we responded in the second half. And our friend uh, Gabe, uh, that covers Missouri at Power Mizzou, our sister site in the Rivals Network, he actually pointed out the fact that uh, said this was this team played their best game since 2014. This Missouri team, he said this, you know, hadn't seen them play like that in forever. And you do give them a chance of going to Mississippi State. That place will be an absolute zoo, uh, be very loud. But it's not really loud in Missouri. So, but that's a great question because the environment can mess with those guys. But again, I just think they play tight after they screw up. Well, if you don't want to play tight, you want to play something really smart, I want you to reach out to our friends over at My Perfect Franchise. This is Andy Ludecki. Go to My Perfect Franchise, do net, check out Andy's site. And basically what he does, it's a new concept. And when he explained it to me, he goes, well, I'm a franchise coach. I'm like, what the hell is that? I don't, I don't get it. But what a franchise coach is, is somebody who's, when you, you're tired of the rat race, you, you want to make extra money, you're sick and sick to death of working for somebody else. Say you hate your boss, you hate your um, – uh, how much you're paid, you know, you feel stuck. Uh, Andy can help you out. He can get you into a ton of other options, whether it be a home-based service, something you do out of your house, uh, something that's not home-based. Uh, uh, you can do uh, a service with a heavy uh, outbound sales requirement where you have to, you know, kind of basically knock on doors, or you can do something completely different, like a light retail, something under like $250,000, a very a much simpler uh, system. Or you can do large retail. In other words, there's 3,000 different franchises out there, and he can guide you through them. So if you want something, you do you know a side gig, he's got you covered. You want to go heavy, invest, and make a lot of money, you can do that. You want something small and light, you can do that. Uh, so the point being, how do you find out what's out there? How do you know what to do? Where, where do you go? Where do you start? How much money do you need? How long will it take? What do you, Can you do it while you maintain your current job? Andy can answer all that, and they'll do it for free. So reach out to My Perfect Franchise. I tell Andy that you heard about it on the dog vent and he'll take care of you when you get a chance. Speaking of franchises, uh, we, our friends over at your pie, they have a ton of franchises out there. And again, not all franchises are restaurant based, which is kind of the way I always thought. But if you do want to start a franchise, you can start one with your pie. So your pie has been around a long time. They've opened up. The first one was in Athens. Then they opened up like 70 stores because everybody loves your pie. Everybody loves pizza. So, uh, and basically the concept is very simple. You walk in, there's a person behind the counter. You tell them what uh, pizza crust you want, what uh, sauce you want, it, what cheese, what toppings. Uh, they toss it all in there. You're not charged per topping. Then uh, you go down, you ring out, you get a beer, you get some gelato. Uh, they toss it into one of their big fire ovens. By the time you turn around and sit down, it's ready. So it's a fantastic concept. And if you order online this week only, they have their app is fantastic because you get points and the points give you free pizzas, free gelato, free breadsticks, stuff like that. We always tell folks, hey, on Tuesdays, it's double points. Well, the double points this week are all week, at least until Friday. So if you do double points today, great. Do tomorrow, great. Thursday, Friday, fantastic. So point being, it's a special deal they're running at Europe High, double points through Friday. Hit them up when you get a chance. 
Let's go to this question from Roja Dog. Last year, the defensive line did a lot of shifting before the snap. This year, I haven't seen them do as much. Is that a scheme change or just a less experienced line and linebacker crew? I think it's a little bit of uh, less experienced. I mean, when you have that ability to, to time it up based on the snap count and you've got uh, linebackers that can, can realize when to let them shift and when not to, I think our linebackers are getting better at that, but you don't want to mess yourself up and shift too early or shift too late. And you got enough problems linebacker wise, just running your scheme and making the plays and getting your team lined up to try to be too funky and shift. So he certainly had a very pertinent question there. It's very well thought up because it could be a little bit of scheme just from the standpoint of uh, maybe we don't want to shift as much because we, we can't, handle playing one technique and then shifting to another at the same time because we're young or we can't handle the shift because of uh, just the fact that our linebackers are worried about other things beside those calls. So uh, it it definitely presents an issue because you're getting up there and you're thinking you make your calls on your offensive line, then all of a sudden they move over or like Arkansas did against us, they jump off sides as soon as you shift. so I think we'll see some more of it as the season progresses. But right now, what we got to do is do a better job of executing the defense call before we try to do too much, show them one thing and go to the other. From San Diego Dog One, are you more concerned with Georgia beating Tennessee than you might have been maybe two weeks ago? You know, I think I've been worried about Tennessee's offense since last year. Um uh, they, they really yeah. have a lot of problems, but their defense doesn't worry me. But uh, right now I'm a lot more concerned about Georgia than I am just our own self. Let's just get our confidence back. Or, uh, don't, don't get a false sense of confidence, but let's just get where we expect to do better than, than worried about what we're going to do wrong and on both sides of the ball. Fortunately, our kicking game's been holding up, and we're going to need a good kicking game this week. They got a tremendous punter that's kept people backed up all year. Uh, their, uh, their field goal kickers kind of going through some psychological problems that, that uh, Anders Carlson's missing some, and I hope he's not in position to even kick any Saturday. But uh, uh, they, they do a good job with their punt game, and hopefully we can get some returns. But uh, I think it's just a, a case of every week you, you got to play the opponent, but you also got to – play against yourself too. I think Tennessee is a looming issue for us because of the speed with which they run their plays, the ability for their quarterback to run or pass, and the uh, preponderance of good receivers they got. They've got an unbelievable amount of guys that just make you cover them. Uh, They don't have a one go-to guy. Tillman had his ankle. I think it's ankle, same kind of situation that Arian Smith I hope he didn't have the same doctor as Smith because Smith came back. About, I mean, I think Oral Roberts was involved in with <laughs> I mean, Good Lord, he's back quick. And that's going to be a big plus for us because this guy can go deep even if you know that you're playing deep. He's had a tremendous amount of uh, deep balls that he's caught. And hopefully he'll, he'll stay well. He deserves that. But all of a sudden you add A.D. Mitchell and Arian Smith to our offense and – Cross your fingers, Eric Gilbert. Uh, there could be some real issues for defensive teams, but 
I'm worried about Tennessee's offense to tell that man that it's a good answer, but uh, I do worry for Tennessee because they're coming into Sanford Stadium. It's probably going to be a, a CBS nationally televised game. There's going to be tons of recruits here. It's going to be a Georgia Bulldog crowd. Uh, I feel good about that game. From Steel Dog, when your team on the outside is 5-0, and but as a coach you see some things that may be wrong or need to improve, how do you go about handling that based on your coaching experience, whether it's good or bad? Well, you always talk to your team on Sunday, or depending on when your day off. Uh, for us, it's Monday. You talk to them about what we did good, what we did bad, what won for us, and what got us beat, uh, depending on the outcome. But situationally, more than individually, they do that in the meetings as a, uh, individual groups, you know, receivers. But as a collective force, they're all your, your players together. And you, you, you also talk about what's ahead for this week. Uh, I thought Kirby did a really good job of talking about how much this game means to him personally. As a Georgia alum, you know, Auburn game is huge. I mean, it's a big, uh, big game. It's been – played forever and he and some of these younger guys probably don't understand the significance of it because they're so caught up in these week-to-week games or they're from around different parts of the country but auburn is a big ass game and you tell your team about it hey rest of your life you're gonna remember these these games like this so uh but talk about what won for you what you got to work on to, to get better but also you cross-check your team and say, look, we're going against a team this week that hasn't been very good at scoring. So uh, defense, keep doing your job. Offense, you know, put the pressure on them where they're having to come from behind. This is their first road game. They've played five home games. I mean, uh, you know, Brian Harson, if you're going to have your job on the line, at least have five at home. And he's won uh, three of them and lost two of them. Uh, so they're going. That's going to be different for them on the road. Snap count, first game, uh, you know, playing in front of a, a crowd like this, uh, it's going to be to our advantage, and we we need to use that from from our perspective. But the one thing you got to always remember as a coach, though, is tell your team how it stands, and tell your players weekly what their role is. The worst thing you can tell them. Is false hope. You're gonna get to play. You're gonna get to play, and their parents come, and then they don't get in the game. You know, tell them exactly what. Hey, you're probably not gonna play much. Your special teams are gonna be good. I mentioned on a watch along show about Jackson Meats talking to me how proud he was to be on the kickoff return team, and he was getting a chance to get in. He said, "Coach, I'm gonna be uh, S four or whatever they call it. I don't know, and that means he's got a block number four coming down." And because he did so well blocking, they put him in at the end of the game. If you watch the, the snap count, he was in there playing X because of his blocking ability. And he made some good blocks when we were we were trying to keep the ball away from him. So th- they noticed during the game he was doing a good job. So they put him in there as the uh, extra guy, as a split end. So tell your players where they stand, how they're going to affect the game individually and collectively, and uh, don't BS them. Uh, and don't don't be the prophet of doom, but also don't be a guy that cried wolf either. Every game can't be playing for let's win it for our mothers and dads. You know what I mean? Hey, this is a life or death game, you know? I mean, every game is just based on the facts at hand. 
And I promise you, Kirby's as good as anybody that I've been around and telling them like it is and getting his team ready. This question from Firefox 2008, where do you buy the sweatshirt that Kirby Smart had on yesterday during the press conference? And for our video audience. Well, I, I thought that was a good looking red one. Uh, I haven't seen that one uh, publicly lately. I guess that's the newest uh, thing that, uh, that maybe Gage Witten's got him wearing over there, but uh, that's a nice little red one. You're a sweatshirt guy, aren't you? I remember you wearing some from your got, coaching days. I got, I got some hoodies, but I don't have the pure. Uh, that's not a hoodie, is it? No, that's just a sweatshirt. But I'm saying a back sweatshirt. in the in the '90s, I remember you with a sweatshirt sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I I tried to be uh, always look like you know when you go up. I always told our team we want to look as good as we can in our uniforms. And I feel the same way for the coaching staff. I think it's important that you look sharp because if you look sharp and you feel sharp, maybe you'll coach sharp. <laughs> the sweatshirt is a must champ special too. Like I bet he has that in every color at this point. Yeah. In I mean, South Carolina he did. The other thing he's got, he's got those tilted glasses. I mean, you know, he looks like a mad scientist because he never has his glasses all the way up. If you notice that he's got them right on his bridge there and the, I, that's a sign of a guy that's just having to wear glasses for the first time in the last time. <laughs> I'm being old, man. I'll tell you that. We're the same age. So. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen you wear yours tilted. Uh, but hey, whenever I read anything close, I'm right here. <laughs> okay. From OU Herschel Walker, Coach, do you have any insight to why Tyrion Ingram Dawkins didn't play last week and only 10 snaps versus Kent State? He seems to make plays when he's in the game. I think it's just a case of uh, – competitive situation right now among those guys that are close to each other and uh, whether it's because he, he doesn't comprehend the defenses or he's making some uh, physical errors or what usually speaking if you're close on our defensive line you're playing so there's got to be some reason that, which I wouldn't dare mention that he that's why he isn't but I would have to say he's either not performing in practice or he's making some errors when he gets a chance but he has made some plays in the game but uh, you usually don't want to take any chances on a guy in a close fit game if, if he's not doing like you want to in practice so that's the only reason I would say that that might be the case. Billy Zane always asks great questions this one when a play or scheme wasn't effective how did you decide between trying to keep working on it because you thought it was an execution issue versus flushing it because it's just not working good question yeah I think the first thing I always felt like if it didn't work in practice I'm not going to take it into a game because if it can't work against our scout team how in the world is it going to work against the good I'm talking about if you're doing something new. Now, everybody's got some bread and butter that you're going to carry every week. But anything new, you're going to scrap it if it doesn't look good during the week. And then if it looked good during the week and then you put it in and you can't execute it, uh, you self-scout. And I always felt like if you got any play or pass that you haven't run over five times in the in two or three games, then you need to scrap it because you're not – you're not running it enough. I mean, it, a good team's going to have tendencies. I mean, you're going to have things that you go to back to. I mean, sure, we got Brock Bowers. Everybody knows it. But all of a sudden, because we got a tendency to throw to him, we're going to stop. No, you're going to keep going to your horses. So, uh, I would say check it in practice. Look at the reps you're doing in the game. How's it working against the other team? And 
and uh, don't be stubborn. I mean, wise man changes, a fool never does. Uh, from D.W. Burnett, are the areas of concern fixable with coaching or are they more personnel issues? Well, I mean, every team's got areas of concern. There's no question about that because, you know, right now, like the Rams, I mean, what are they doing today? They're in there looking at their pass protection, but they, they're not going to trade for any players. They might cut some guys or something. I mean, but you never know. But I, I think you, you always look after a situation presents itself that isn't working. First of all, you look, are they doing – are they capable of doing what we're asking them to do? And if you feel like they are, then work at ways to make it better. Is this – fruitful in our overall attack is this worth the time we're spending on it are we getting the dividends from it so from a fixable standpoint it would be that Uh, i always tell you this about once a year don't confuse activity with accomplishment just because you're outside working on something doing blah 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 and spending time on it what kind of accomplishment you're getting out of it i mean what are you doing with your time how are we allotting that in practice are we spending too much time on this and not enough on this because we're doing this better. So constantly looking at that. Kirby Smart spends 30 minutes every day uh, with a couple guys figuring out where he's going to use his different coaches during practice based on what's salient that week. I mean, just because you're the O-line coach doesn't mean you're going to be with the O-line the whole practice. If he thinks our D-line needs some really good inspiration and hard work, he'll have the O-line coach from the Stacy Sterles come down there during scout team and run plays right behind our offensive scouts and, and be motivating them to get them to do better. He's got somebody up there with the other with filling in for him. Same thing with receivers, but he moves his coaches around to motivate the players. And plus he likes to see them uh, evaluate them. That's how he got Jordan Davis playing that one year because he saw how good he was doing on a scout team and, Trey Scott said, good God, he's doing this down here on the scout team when I'm with him. I'm going to put him up here. So allotment of coaches in practice, uh, practice time, how you use it. I don't mean to answer so long there, but uh, you, you got to constantly look at, at your pr- production and, and understand what kind of reward are we getting for the time we're putting in it. Yeah, I want to do Touch on that real quick. Some of the things that we've seen from Georgia that would give me concern, if you will, is like, and we asked you this right at the end of the last week's uh, watch along show: is it player personnel or is it you know execution? Can 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 they do it? And we've seen them do it. So uh, the the team that's beating Georgia right now is Georgia. Don't drop passes. Don't fumble the ball. Hit the blocks that you've hit in the past against better teams. Make the tackles that you've made against better runners and better teams. Do that stuff, and you won't have this, won't have those issues. Uh, before we get to the next question, there, Dane, I want to mention our friends over at Athens Ford. Uh, they have 270 vehicles on the lot right now, and we've mentioned this numerous times on the Watch Long Show, but I haven't mentioned it so much here. If you were within 20 miles of Athens and you need your vehicle worked on, but you were at work or you're at home, uh, say you're home watching the kids, or you work from home, and you, uh, in other words, you it's going to be too inconvenient for you to drive by Athens Ford, get your car serviced, get your oil changed, get your battery checked out, uh, get tires worked on, whatever you need. Uh, reach out to them about their mobile service van. It's an actual van with a ton of parts in it, a ton of stuff in it. And they've been driving out all over the Athens area. They have a service that's about 20 miles out 
uh, and they will come out to your house, to your place of business and work on your vehicle. It's a fantastic concept. I think it's genius. And that's the sort of things that the folks at Athens for come up with. They're always trying to come up with something new to make it easier on the customers like the um, uh, order your vehicle online. So you can basically go there and say, look, I want a Ford Bronco. I want this package. I want this frame. I want this uh color and or i want a f-150 and i want this with it and that with it you, know, you can do all that stuff on their website and of course you know they're uh, they have their military discount their student discounts and uh always the lifetime powertrain warranty so check out our friends at athens ford when you get a chance and if you're in the athens ford area all you gotta do is go to the west side of athens drive down about i think it's less than a mile to Academia Brewing Company. So if you do go by and drop off your vehicle to have a service, get them to drop you off at Academia Brewing Company. Check out their new, uh, uh, the coasters they have. They have these slate coasters with their uh, logo on it. Uh, fantastic for people who drink a lot of beer, don't want to ruin the furniture. Uh, this Tuesday night, I believe, is it? Or Thursday, Thursday night, it'll be their um, bike night. So if you drive a motorcycle, you want to go out and hang out with other motorcycle aficionados, the first Thursday of every month is bike night. And then the first Sunday of every month is classic car night. So or classic car day. So if you want to go to the car show, it's going to be October 9th, this coming Sunday, check them out for at Academia Brewing Company. There's a new menu out there. There's fantastic new beers. There's always a new beer out there. I've never gone and not seen at least one or two new beers, but they have a new menu. Check out our friends at Academia Brewing Company when you get a chance. Five minutes left in the show. We'll sneak in as many more questions in here as we can. This is a great one from 83 wide receiver dog. Well, it's 83 WR dogs. I'm assuming that's wide receiver. Yeah, um, oh, it could be one of Robbins. There you go. I should know that from being where I'm from. How do you back the safeties up if you can't protect long enough to throw the deep ball? Ooh, good question. You're talking about uh, throwing the ball. How do you back them up? Yeah, if, on offense, how do you back up a defensive safeties if you're well, here, thing, long enough? Here's the thing anymore. Unless a team's playing too deep zone, safeties aren't that much involved in outside passes. Uh, you're seeing everybody playing bump and run corner. Uh, the ball down the boundary is usually on a corner. It's not the safety. So you don't have to worry about backing them up if they're playing, uh, you know, one high safety, one in the middle, and the safety's running run support. But if both safeties are playing deep, then you've got to attack horizontally there. You, you've got to, beside vertical, you've got to throw the ball in front of them. You've got to throw some uh, uh, four verticals where you, you, you're putting a safety in a bind. Is he playing outside or is he playing halves? Uh, the other thing is play action is good against the safeties that are deep because uh, you can hit crossing routes on them underneath them. So there's a lot of different ways you can do it. But protection-wise, it's a case of you're not going to throw the ball deep on a third and 15 usually. Safeties are playing, the sticks are playing back. So, But we made some really, uh, really bad error the other night on third and 17. I had a penalty for pass interference by Keely Ringo. And there's another case. You know, Van Pran's our best, one of our best linemen and didn't play as great. Keely Ringo uh, had some real uh, bad plays for him. I mean, you just expect him to play perfect. And how about Kendrick, the guy that was playing last year, drafted in the sixth round for us as starting for the uh, Rams and made eight tackles last week. Uh, I saw that when he was playing last night. So we lost a corner that's playing in the NFL that's now 
that's the other side of the field, uh, how we're going to play over there. So attack two deep safeties with uh, three on two uh, play action and crossing routes. P-Tech 1 asks, why is UGA struggling to score touchdowns? Can this be fixed? Field goals will not beat Tennessee. Uh, you never know uh, uh, what it's going to take to beat Tennessee. But uh, he's certainly right. You need to score more touchdowns. I think we've been our own worst enemy, not doing well on first down, throwing the ball and missing guys, getting behind the sticks, getting some lost yardage plays on second down, uh, and also uh, just inability to, to – uh, punch people out at the line of scrimmage. We see a lot of uh, people coming across and making tackles, even Kent State. Uh, even uh, we saw that against uh, Sanford. They got penetration on us. But I think one thing that I always felt like within the red zone, you tell your team, look, we're going to line up in a power formation and we're going to run the ball twice. I don't care if they've got everybody on their team over there. We're going to try it two times before we throw a pass just to – just to understand we got four downs to make it. You know, if you make six or seven yards and two downs, you still got two more. So we haven't shown that propensity to be patient and run it down after down in in the red zone. I think we might see more of that. But stopping ourselves has been the biggest issue at this point. And we got a penalty the other night, too, for, for motion that puts you behind. And we also got a holding. Lump Dog and Obi-Wan both ask about Georgia snapping the ball with less than five seconds left on the play clock. And then Lump Dog's version of the question was that it seemed like Georgia moved the ball more effectively when the dogs went more up tempo later in the game. So, yeah, I think we were definitely in a different vogue there. We were going quicker with a no huddle and trying to attack, but that was the that way the game unfolded. It wasn't any question. I mean, that's the reality. That's what happened. But a lot of times when people are moving their front around and doing all that stunt and stuff, you got to change your protection. If not, you're going to end up with more pressure than we got. So that's why we ended up going down to four or five seconds on a snap. But in the second half, we had a bead for what they were running. So our calls were subsequent to what they were doing. So we weren't having to check off to protect. You, you just ran the play a lot quicker. So, I'm I'm big on using the clock to your advantage. If it helps you identify the defense, run it down. If it helps you make the defense get disconcerted, go quick. If it helps you uh, uh, in a lot of ways getting out of the huddle and running the play and they can't understand what you're in, do it. The only advantage that the offense has on the defense is you know what the snap count is and they don't you got to use that to your advantage. I've always told our team the snap count is a big advantage. Use it to your plus, not your minus. And we did it the second half. First half, it hurt us. Final question, and then I'll uh, limit you to 20 seconds on this. the way here because I'm – uh, I always want to be a doctor, but I didn't have enough patience. But I have to go see the doctor today. But that's nothing serious. But I got an appointment that uh, I've had for a long time, so let's get it. All right, so um, final one. This is from Blocker57. I know it's against the rules, but how much transfer recruiting is going on midseason and who's involved with doing that? I only asked this because I saw the article about SMU having some players like sitting out for the rest of the year. SMU's not the only one has got those guys sitting out, but we've got people looking consistently and analyzing other people around the country. We can't talk to them, but we look at these guys that might be potential transfers, uh, we got people doing that 
there's no question about it. You got to be ready for them. And uh, transfer portal is 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 the is in in fashion. That's no question. I'll see you guys next week. Hi, Coach. Coach. Take care. Uh, speaking of which, I remember when Darren Kendrick, they were watching him much earlier than when he came to Georgia. You know, from Clemson, that was. Uh, I know that for a fact that George was like, we thought, and this was from within the program, they thought, we thought he was going to go pro. When he didn't, we were hoping he'd go into the uh, portal. And they actually had all the alerts set up. They had people watching around the clock to see what his name was officially posted in the transfer portal. And they called immediately. So, uh, yeah, they're doing that. And Alabama's doing it. That's why they have Jameer Gibbs. I think he was the SEC Offensive Player of the Week last week. They pulled him from Georgia Tech. Uh, yeah, because and here's the thing: you have a pre-existing relationship with a lot of these guys. You know, Georgia went toe to toe with Missouri for Luther Burton, and if Luther's name pops in the portal, you're gonna pick up right where you left off. So yeah, and that's what Kirby said this week about Auburn. He said, "I know everyone on that defense." Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, he, he said about the quarterback. He's like, "Yeah, we recruited him." You know, <laughs> yeah. So he knows them all. Uh, he wanted uh, most of them. So, uh, it, and Kirby, before the transfer portal, you remember when he got back to Richard Robertson and guys like that, he has never burned a bridge with these guys. He's never like, uh, can't believe you're going to that school. Hope you break your leg. You know, he, he's, he's not an asshole. So uh, he tries to keep those relationships handy. That was before the transfer portal, you know, back when maybe God have to sit out a year when he transferred to you. So one Auburn point too is before the season, everything was, do you think that Oregon uh, with Dan Lanning is going to know Georgia better? Yada, yada. No one talked about the Brian McClendon piece of it. We're not hearing anyone say is an advantage for Georgia that Brian McClendon helped coach Robbie Ashford last year at Oregon. No one's saying that. And I think it could be an advantage for Georgia. They're at least going to know this guy's tendencies. Do you think Mike Bobo does anything about Auburn? Ah, where's that storyline? <laughs> well, we don't get to talk to Mike, so it's not there. But yeah, if anybody knows what's going on with Auburn right now, it's Mike Bobo. Mike's, I can tell you, Mike's probably giving him copious notes. Okay, this guy, you know, this guy's uh, he tends to do this, you know, on these type of situations, you know. So it's and trust me, they have details about whether a guy closes his eyes before impact or not. So it's going to be fun to watch. I uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, sorry, Coach had to leave. He had to bu- uh, get out of here. Uh, Got to go to an appointment. Nothing serious, as he says. We want to give a quick shout-out to our podcast sponsors, of course, uh, Prime Shrimp. Remember, UGA Sports code gets you $20 off your first order. Dead Soxy, promo code UGA Sports gets you 25% off your order. Uh, My Perfect Franchise, if you're looking to diversify your income, maybe start a new business, get out of the rat race, uh, in Create income and wealth. They can do that for you. Academia Brewing Company, they have uh, bike night this Thursday, then the Classic Car Show Sunday. And of course, your pie, special uh, double points all week, you know, Monday through, or at least through Friday. And of course, our friends at Athens Ford get you a new vehicle with a lifetime powertrain warranty. And of course, tune into this show uh, for, on th- or tune into this channel. Thursday, we have Around the League. And then Saturday, we have the Georgia Watch Along Show where we're going to uh, be breaking down the Auburn game in real time. Anything, anything left there, Dane? I think Coach would uh, enjoy me saying, say goodnight, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Y'all take care.